you were with us uh, last Lord's Day, you know, we started in this pivotal uh, chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, that defines for us what faith is and what faith looks like. And so today we're going to uh, continue by looking at a couple of examples of faith. And then we're going to conclude our time today by coming to the Lord's table together. That will be our time of response, and that is very much what God says it is to be. He says we're to examine our hearts in 1 Corinthians 11, to consider the gospel, and then to celebrate together in the Lord's Supper. And so we invite you, if you are a professing follower of Jesus Christ, if you have made that profession of your faith, we invite you to participate at the end of our time today in receiving uh, the Lord's Supper with us. If you've yet to make that profession of faith and place your trust in our Lord Jesus and the gospel that he offers us, then we would ask you to observe uh, during that time that we come to the table together. And so that will be how we conclude our time today. Uh, But for now, we're going to begin by looking at Hebrews chapter 11. If you were with us last week, we covered those first few verses that really define what faith is. And now the remainder of chapter 11 tells us what faith looks like. Uh, We were reminded last week as we looked to this definition of faith that God has not called us to a blind faith. He has called us to a biblical faith. And so today we're going to learn more about what that biblical faith looks like as we consider uh, the testimonies of Abel and Enoch and as we consider God's instruction to us. So with that introduction, if you're able to, if you would stand out of reverence for God's word. As I read for us from Hebrews 11 verses 4 through 6. This is what God's Word says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You would pray with me. Father, just as we... I've already sang this morning, we, we need no other argument, we need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Father, I pray that you might help us to better understand the cross and the blood and the gospel as we consider the faith that's been presented to us this morning in these passages as we prepare to come to this table together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I heard a story a number of years ago about two brothers. These brothers lived in a town, probably not much bigger than our community here. And and essentially, these, these brothers were wicked men. They 
loved uh, the dollar more than anything else, and so they did whatever they could. They would lie, they would cheat, they would steal, they would enter into unsavory business deals, well, whatever they could do to improve their bottom line. And so in the process of their lives, they managed to, to offend, to cheat, to hurt just about everybody that lived in their community. And then the day came when one of these brothers passed away, and so the surviving brother decided that uh, while they had offended most in that community, he, he wanted to have uh, his brother's funeral to be a funeral fit for a king. And so he went to the funeral home and he planned out all the details and he called the local minister and he said, listen, I, I want you to do something for me. I'm going to pay for a new roof to be put on the church in exchange. I simply ask this, when you do my brother's eulogy, I want you to call him a saint minister thought about it for a moment and said, okay, I can do that. And so the time came for his funeral. Uh, most of the people in town came just to hear what would be said of this scoundrel. And it came time for the pastor to eulogize him. And he got up and started to share and essentially said this. The man you see in the coffin was a vile and debauched individual. He was a liar, a thief, a manipulator, a deceiver, a reprobate, and a hedonist. He destroyed the fortunes, careers, and lives of countless people, including you who are here today. This man did every dirty, rotten thing you can think of. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. I've been asked to do a lot of things in funerals. I've not been asked to say something like that and uh, while I'm pretty sure that story might have stretched some things, I'm guessing there was, no funeral, there was no roof put on the church after that. You know, when we think about funerals and we think about eulogies, there, there's something about that moment. And when you're basically looking at a lifetime of someone and you're bringing it down to just a, a few minutes, a, a few statements where you're asking people to consider what their life was about. Well, what was it that best represented their life? life. I've been a part of many funerals, and I'll have to say that's one of my favorite moments in a funeral because it, it really encapsulates the life of a person, especially for those who have great faith in Jesus so often, and encapsulates their faith and the testimony of their faith. We, we see that when we eulogize those who walk by faith. And as we come to Hebrews 11, uh, this is a eulogy of sorts. This is a list of Old Testament men and women who walked by faith and are being commended but for their faith. They are being talked about after they have died as those who walked by faith. Now, we know many of their stories. Uh, we know that there was wickedness and we know that there was a lack of faith at times, but, but what we see in the end result of their life and their testimony was this walk of faith that is commended to them as righteousness by our sovereign creator, God. It helps us to better understand that, that difference that we talked about last Lord's Day between what it is to have a, a blind faith and a biblical faith. And so today I want us to continue to consider that as we look to the first two examples that we're presented with here. 
You'll notice as you walk through Hebrews that these uh, testimonies are chronological. And so we, we begin back in Genesis 4 and 5 with the stories, with the accounts of two men who walked with God, with the testimony of Abel and the testimony of Enoch. And as we look to those testimonies, I want us to consider what we learn about biblical faith as we consider in our own lives that question, do we have genuine biblical saving faith? And so we'll begin with the first point there. You find in your outline this reminder of what biblical faith is. Number one, biblical faith first is defined by God. It's defined by God. When we want to understand what biblical faith is, that the definition we need to understand is that definition which God defines, what it is He dictates. And we see an example of that as we consider verse 4. Again, it tells us that by faith Abel... Offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so, the writer of Hebrews here is calling our attention to something far back in biblical history and saying, though he died long ago, he's still speaking to us today. This testimony remains. And what is that testimony? It's the testimony of one who had genuine faith and that faith was indeed defined by God now what does that mean well as we go to Genesis 4 we get a better understanding and uh, just in summary many of you are familiar with what takes place there in Genesis 4 uh, you've got the account there of the, the the first family in creation Adam and Eve and their sons Cain and Abel and it comes time for Cain and Abel to make an offering to the Lord and what we read in Genesis chapter 4 is that uh, Abel offered uh, the first among his flock the the best from his flock he offered a blood sacrifice to God and Cain offered from the fruits of the field. And, and God, in regard to their offerings, the Scripture says he, he had regard, meaning he, he accepted, he was pleased with the offering of Abel. He, he was not pleased with the offering of Cain. And so what we see here is a, a stark contrast between these two individuals. The question for us is, well, why is this? Why, why was Abel's sacrifice so much better than Cain's sacrifice? And we don't have a great amount of detail in Genesis 4. But I think the testimony of Scripture and the account of what happens there helps us to better understand that, that fundamentally the issue here was that Abel had an obedient faith. God had dictated what his offerings would be. The consistent picture we see throughout the Scripture is that God is the one who defines how he is to be worshipped. And so you think about what we've looked at in Hebrews so far and these reminders from the tabernacle and the temple and we go back to Exodus and we read about how God called his people out of Egypt and as he gives all of these details, we're reminded over and over again that all this was by God's design. Now, this was not man sitting down and sketching out, well, how can we build something that allows us to best worship God? How can we build something that will most glorify God? No, this is God saying to man, here's exactly what I want you to build. Here's exactly how I want you to do it. And when it comes to worship, we see the same thing. God is the one who says, here is how I will be worshipped. Here is what you are called to do. And so that's the consistent pattern in Scripture. So I have no doubt that in biblical history that there was a time there where God revealed to Adam and Eve, revealed to Cain and Abel, revealed to those first people that this is how you're to worship me. And the picture here would be that Abel 
followed God's instructions exactly. That, that he was faithful and he was obedient. But there was something wrong with Cain's offering. Now, it could have been the offering itself. Some speculate that, well, we see a picture here of Abel offering a, a blood sacrifice and Cain's was not a blood sacrifice. We, we don't know if that's the issue. In fact, I think the Scripture would indicate that the issue was more of a heart issue. It was how the offering was made because we see references to Cain and his, his wickedness and his evil intentions. For example, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, we're told we should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So we're not just reading there that, that him murdering his brother was evil. No, even before that, his deeds were evil. There was wickedness there. And he was not coming to the God in the way that God had dictated he should come to him. 11th verse in Jude, speaking of evil and disobedient people, says this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. And so the contrast we see, the testimony of Scripture, is that you have one person here, Abel, who was walking with God in obedience, and you have one who was walking in the flesh in disobedience. Therefore, God received the offering from one and not the other. And that reminds us that biblical faith is defined by God, not by man. Cain could not just come to God in any way he chose. No, it was defined by God that this is what you should do and this is what faith should look like. And we see the picture of that faith in Abel. Now, a couple of things to note from this. Cain made an offering, but it doesn't appear to be an offering in obedience to God. He seemed to be religious. It wasn't that Cain here just refused God, that he refused to make an offering to God. No, Cain goes through a, a religious motion here. He, he goes through this uh, offering system, but he doesn't do it the way God had called him to do. It reminds me that there are many of us today who are very religious, but, but our hearts are the issue. We try to cover the wickedness and the evilness of our heart with religious deeds. Or we try to define who God is and how He will be worshipped instead of going to the Scripture and understanding what He's already said. He's told us who He is. He's revealed to us who He is. He's told us how to live. But so often we refuse that. We want to come to God on our terms and not His. So many of us are religious and yet our heart it's not a heart of obedience. We see this often very clearly when it comes to God's commands to us to flee from things that we desire. How do we respond to that? We immediately begin to discount those. Well, that, surely that's not what that means. And well, well, you don't understand my situation. And, and rather than respond in repentance and faith in obedience, we start to redefine who God is to make Him a God of our own choosing. But friends, a God that we create is no God at all. <laughs> And the God who has revealed himself in Scripture has revealed to us how it is we are to walk by faith and what faith is to look like. And we see a picture of that in Abel. And you note this as well, that Abel, it seems here very clearly, he, he walked in obedience to God. And what happened to him? His obedience cost him his life. I mean, just think about that for a moment. You're, 
the writer of Hebrews, and you're wanting to encourage these people who are being persecuted for their faith. And what is the very first example of faith that you find in the Scripture? It is a picture of someone who took a stand for their faith and walked in obedience, and they immediately were killed for their faith. Now, from man's perspective, you probably would start off with something a little different, you know? Hey, look at this guy. He walked by faith and all these things happened for him that were good. No, but, but in biblical history, what we're reminded of is that the walk of faith does cost. For Abel, very clearly, it cost him his life. And that's exactly what Jesus says it will cost us. That is, he says if we truly want to be his disciple, we need to count the cost. We need to be prepared for the cost. Luke records it this way. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? We're reminded here that biblical faith has a cost. And practically speaking for us, that means that if we truly walk by faith and we trust in God and we obey His Word, that that may cost us in our careers. That may cost us a business deal. That may cost us employment. And I'm reminded in relationships, it may cost us a friendship. It may cost us a relationship. We're reminded when it comes to our life that if we truly walk with Christ and obey His Word, that it very well will cost us our comfort and it may even cost us our life. And so as we consider what it means to have biblical faith, we need to ask the question, are we counting the cost? Are we prepared to walk by faith and obedience to God and do we consider, as we walk by faith, that that is a faith defined by God, not a faith, a faith defined by man? That we come to God on His terms and not our own? So we see biblical faith is defined by God. Number two, uh, biblical faith is a faith that pleases God. Biblical faith pleases God. Now here the writer takes us now to another account in biblical history just after Genesis 4 in Genesis 5 where we read about Enoch. He says to us, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Therefore, uh, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So he's reminding us here again of a, a biblical account in salvation history and one that we don't have a lot of detail about. Because when you go back to Genesis chapter 5, you find that Genesis chapter 5 is the generations of Adam. It's a genealogy. And it basically reads very consistently. Uh, there was this person, they were born, and they lived, and then they died. And then there was this person, and they were born, and they lived, and then they died. And this pattern repeats itself over and over again until you come to Enoch in Genesis 5.22. That the pattern is broken here, and there's a little bit of extra commentary given that helps us get an understanding of who Enoch was and why it is that the writer of Hebrews says he was commended for his faith. There's a phrase there in Genesis 5 that's mentioned twice about Enoch. It's that Enoch walked with God. Now this is significant. 
Because when you consider that the phrase attributing someone to having walked with God only appears four times in the entire Bible, half of those, two of those, they are about Enoch. Now that tells us a great deal about this man's faith. And so that pattern is broken of birth and life and death by Enoch, who we're told not only walked with God. In verse 24 of Genesis 5, we read that God took him. Now here again, Enoch is set apart. There's only two people in all of Scripture that are mentioned as having been taken directly by God into heaven and into eternity who never tasted death. One was Enoch, one was Elijah. God simply took them away. And so we see here that, that Enoch was set aside for his faith in such a way that God just took him home. And we also learn a little bit about Enoch in the 14th verse of Jude where we read that Enoch was a preacher of righteousness in a day of great ungodliness. And so if you know the story of Scripture, you know that uh, soon after Adam and Eve and their rebellion, you have just generations rebelling to the point where just a couple chapters later, God floods the earth. But between those two events, as unrighteousness is growing, you have some that were walking by faith and some who were declaring uh, the ways of God to people. And Enoch was one of those. He was a preacher of righteousness. We read this about what he warned people of in the 14th verse of Jude. It's attributed to Enoch that he said, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him you see a theme there he was preaching about the wickedness of man, the ungodliness of man, and the desperate sinful state of man, and how God's judgment was coming against him. And what does God say of this preacher of righteousness? He said he had a faith that pleased God. A faith that pleased God. The writer of Hebrews says that Enoch was commended as having pleased God. Now we may not know much more about Enoch, but the Scripture tells us a great deal about what it is to please God and that which God delights in and that which He does not delight in. And we find very clearly the picture of what it means to walk by faith according to the Spirit of God and what it means to walk in the flesh according to our sinful desires. That is written throughout the pages of Scripture. We find one example in Galatians chapter 5. Listen to the contrast here that we're given in Galatians 5, beginning there in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So very clearly he says, listen, you're going to have ungodly desires, and they are going to be opposed to the Word of God. So when you open up God's Word, and God says you are to flee from this, but you consider your life and say, but that's what I want to do, that's exactly what God's Word says will happen. These things are opposed to one another. They battle against one another. 
And he goes on to further define what these things are. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He gives us a very clear list, and it's not exhaustive. There's many other things written in the Scripture, but he basically says, of these things, these things aren't the issue. These things are a fruit of what is the issue, and that's your wicked heart. And here's the fruit of it. Here's how it comes out. But then he says this, there's a different kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and that's love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness. And goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Paul reminds the Galatians and reminds us here that a, a biblical faith is a faith that pleases God. It's a faith that when wrestling with these these fruits of the flesh and these sinful things. It's a, it's a faith that desires to flee from those and, and to walk with God by faith. It's not a perfect faith, but it's a pleasing faith. It's a faith that desires repentance and desires righteousness and desires godliness. And when these wicked, evil things come into a person's life, it's a faith that brings us to repentance, to turn from those and to turn to Jesus. And if we don't do that, if we make excuses for them, if we seem to embrace these sinful things rather than embrace God, if our desires are greater for the things of the world than for the God who created the world, well, this is an indication that we do not have biblical faith. Biblical faith is defined by God and it is rooted in a walk with God that pleases God. And that's the picture we see here. And these examples were given of Abel and of Enoch. But then the writer goes on to give us a further statement about biblical faith. Note what he says in verse 6. He says, and without faith, this, this biblical faith he's been describing, without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now notice two things here he says in addition about biblical faith after giving these examples. The first one's this, number three there in your outline. He tells us that biblical faith believes in the God of Scripture. Biblical faith believes in the God of Scripture. Notice again verse 6. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. Now, our immediate response to that would probably be something like this well we we live in a culture and a context where most of the people we know believe god exists according to a pew research survey just from 2018 80 percent of americans believe god exists so the, the the vast majority of the people in our nation believe god exists but it's interesting when you look at that study they asked further questions and one of those questions was if they believe that the god as defined by the scriptures and the holy bible if that's the God they believe in, if that's the God that exists, and the numbers fall drastically. 
See, people are very quick to say they believe in a God. But when they say that, they're not necessarily saying, in fact, often they're not saying they believe in the God who has revealed himself to us. And you find this out very quickly in conversations with people about their faith. As a pastor, I talk often to people about their faith, and one of the questions I will ask or that may come up is, well, well do you believe in God? And, and especially in this area of this part of the world, I mean, I've met some who are atheists and agnostic, but the, the overwhelming majority of people I encounter will say, yeah, of course I believe in God. But then when you start to ask further questions, you find it's not the God of Scripture they believe in. It's a God of their own creation. It's a God who is love, but never a God of judgment. It is a God who always forgives, but a God who never condemns. It is a God that does not dictate to us how we are to live or what we are to do. It is a God who embraces us for who we are and accepts us just that way. And friends, that is a God of our own creation. That is not the God that we find in the pages of Scripture. And so it's important when we consider biblical faith that we remember that biblical faith is biblical faith. It's faith as defined in the Scripture. And in the Scripture, God reveals Himself to us. And it's such a gracious thing that He does. I had a conversation just this past week about this uh, and I was talking to someone about you know, the, the revelation of God and how God tells us who He is. And I, I posed the question to him. I said, listen, did, did you just wake up one day and know math? <laughs> They're like, no, no, I didn't. Did, did you just wake up one day and, and understand everything about the English language that you know today? No, no they didn't. Why? You, you had to be taught. You, you had to learn. That wasn't just some process of self-meditation and self-discovery that led you to understand algorithms and the English language. No, you had to be taught. And God in His grace towards us does not say to us, well, just look into yourself to find out who I am. No, He reveals Himself to us and He has revealed Himself through His Word. And how does Hebrews start out? His final revelation to us is His Son. And so we know who God is because He tells us. The question is, will we trust Him? Will we believe Him? Will we walk with Him as He has defined? Or will we invent a God and a faith of our own choosing? Let's call it what it is. A faith that does not rest on the revelation that God has given, a faith that does not rest in the truth of God's Word, a faith that is a faith of our own creation and a God of our own creation, this is not the faith described in Hebrews 11. And yet that is the faith that so many seem to have. Biblical faith believes in the God of Scripture. The question for us is, is that the God we believe in? Do we trust God do we believe God? We're told here that it's impossible to please Him if we would, unless we would draw near to Him and believe that He exists. Believe that the God who reveals to Himself to us exists. Not just that, point four. We find that biblical faith seeks God and receives God's reward. Seeks God and receives God's reward. 
Again, he says, whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So not only do we need to believe in him as he's revealed himself to us, we need to believe that there is a reward for those who seek him. So, so what is that reward? What is the reward for biblical faith? Is that reward something we receive the moment that we receive Jesus? Is that reward something we have in our day-to-day lives? And if so, well, what does it look like? I mean, is, is the reward good health? Is the reward a good job? Is the reward uh, a family that's doing well? A, a bountiful crop? A, a, just a good life? Is that a reward? I think those are good things. And if those things represent your life today, then absolutely we are called to thank God for them. Why? Because He's the giver of all good things. But is that the reward He's speaking of here? We have a bit of context that helps us understand this reward because again, notice verse 6 comes in the context of verses 4 and 5. And what do we read in verses 4 and 5? We have two examples. The first one is Abel who walked by faith and immediately he was killed for it. The second is Enoch who walked by faith and he never tasted death. (laughs) I mean, these are two extremes. On one end, you've got immediate martyrdom, persecution, murder, death because he walked by faith. The other one, he never tasted death. There was no breathing your last breath. There was no being murdered or slaughtered because of your faith. No, he immediately went from breathing here on earth to breathing in an eternity with his creator, sovereign God. So if you, you were to talk to Abel and Enoch about earthly blessings, well, you'd get a different story, wouldn't you? Because one lost everything on this earth, and the other one didn't seem to lose anything on this earth. In fact, they were just taken straight to heaven. And so I think the reward here is speaking to something more than just rewards for faith that we experience in this temporal life. I think the reward here is the reward that they both received. It's that reward of eternal life. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us when you continue walking through Hebrews chapter 11. He's very clear here that that all these died in faith, looking to God, trusting in God, and they were looking towards a reward that was to come. They were looking towards their heavenly home. And friends, that's the great reward that we see them receive. That's the great reward for all who will have faith in Jesus and trust in Him. That there are certainly blessings to receive in this life. It is a blessed thing to meditate on the Word of God day and night. It is a blessed thing to walk with God this side of eternity. But the great reward, the great blessing comes to those who trust in Him and it comes for all eternity. That's why we read in 1 John 5, beginning in verse 11, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, do you believe in Jesus today? Are you walking with Jesus today? Are you disciples of Jesus today? Are you living in obedience to Jesus today? And Jesus says clearly in His Word that if you do those things, if you're His disciples, 
You may lose things here, but you will gain eternity. Read in 1 John that if you have the Son, you have the life. And so a biblical faith is a forward-looking faith. We talked about this last Lord's Day, and it will continue to come up as we consider, again, the, the situation of the Hebrews here, these Hebrew Christians who were suffering, but in the midst of their temporal sufferings, they were being reminded to have hope and an eternal glory, a future glory that was coming. And friends, we're to be reminded of that every day that we open the Word of God. We're to be reminded of that every time we gather together, and we are certainly to be reminded of that every time we come to the Lord's table. Because just as we talked about last week, that the Lord's table is a reminder to us of what God has done, what God is doing, and most certainly of what God will do. We walk by faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Jesus said his, this cup and this bread would be reminders of that. Uh, of his body as we break the bread we're reminded of that sacrifice jesus made on the cross that that cup the blood it reminds us that there's a a new covenant now that we receive through jesus christ a covenant that he has paid for and purchased we're reminded when we come to the table together that for those who are in christ i heard one pastor say recently our judgment day went from the future to the past we've been judged righteous in christ And so we look back and we celebrate that. We we look at our lives now and we thank God for that because that's what enables us then to walk by faith and not by sight. And we look ahead to that day of glory when we will sit at that banquet table with Christ. That day Jesus said, as we take this, we do this, and we proclaim his death until he comes, until we're reunited with him, until we experience this eternal life that he offers us. An eternal life that begins the moment that you responded to the gospel and placed your trust in Jesus. But an eternal life that we've not experienced in that future glory that is to come. And so we're called to consider these things as we come to the table 